Hi everyone and welcome back to the Making Milestones podcast. It's been a little bit since I've put up an episode, so hello again. This one may be a shorter one because I'm nearing the end of my work day and I just decided to do this on a whim because I have a lot of stuff to catch up on and I also wanted to explain some of the process of what I'm doing with the things that I'm going to be catching uh, you all up on, the first of which um, will be talking with the Mustangs. Um, and then I also have some other exciting things that will be coming up quite soon or have already come out. Um, just briefly, I guess. So maybe the first of which is not the Mustangs. I lied. Um, I just released a retro inspired equestrian fashion line for like riding wear. And also you can like wear it to the street, basically like right from barn to street essentially is the idea where it's comfortable to ride in and do like sports stuff in and layer in for the fall. But it's also something that you could wear to school or to the store if you want to. Um, Not that there's specific things that you need to wear there either because I go to the store covered in horse shit and mud. So I mean like you do you. Wear what makes you happy. But I'm pretty excited about it. I just released it this morning. The first release is a soft release because we have less sizing. Um, Such is the life of being a small business. Depending on how things sell, we'll restock everything in more quantities and get some more quantities of other sizes as well and just expand the product line further. But it was a little bit risky what I was doing with this product line because some of the products are busier than a lot of conservative like English style riders might like. Um, and it's just quite different compare in comparison to other equestrian fashion brands that I've seen. So I didn't know how it was going to be received. So I did order conservatively for this first order. So stuff will probably sell out in certain sizes quite quickly. Um, and I'm going to be trying to get another restock prior to Christmas, but that may or may not happen. So I recommend checking it out soon. You can go on the milestoneequestrian.ca website and then click on the shop milestone page. Um, But yeah, I just wanted to introduce that and then also just reiterate the fact that like I am continuously trying to expand my sizing and I think that when people are the consumer, they don't necessarily realize the process of doing that when you're a small business and like how expensive it is. Like for example, to even get like three units of one size um, in every size and then also add like the like all of the extra sizes that I want to have, it's very expensive and it adds up, let alone if you're going to stock it in the quantities where you're expecting lots of people to buy it, where you're getting like 10 units per size, even for the less popular sizes that don't sell as well. So there's a lot of money involved. So it's really risky if you decide to get a bunch of sizes in new products that may or may not sell because you don't always get rid of them. You don't know how it'll really be received until it's released. So it's not an effort to be like exclusive um, and not include people of all body types and have like lots of different sizing it's just a learning curve because even with like certain orders when we're developing the size range there's always going to be samples that are labeled a certain size but that I might not want to keep as that specific size because they could fit too small or too large or there could be aspects to fit that need to be changed but we still need to sell those units first if they're sellable so again like the size range is constantly developing um if anyone's ever ordered something and had it be too small or not like be fitted to the size in the way that they think it should be, give me another chance at some point and just understand that like this is literally the process of trying to start a small business because you can't just nail sizing right away all the time in addition to getting the right quantities right away. So especially, well, maybe you can if you're like Kylie Jenner or something, but when you're me, you can't. Um, so anyways, that's what I'm excited about. That's out now. So you can order now from the website and I've also released some pairs of riding tights, um, some beanies that are in some really nice, fun fall colors. 
that I would love for people to check out. So you can look at all that stuff on the milestoneequestrian.ca website. Um, and I'm also doing a clinic next weekend on October 15th, and I'm selling online audit spots for anyone who's interested, and those are also on that website. If anyone would like to get an audit link to listen to the clinic um, at a later date. We're aiming to have it live, but that depends on how good service is at that given time. If service is not the greatest, um, cell phone service, then it'll just be a link after the fact and then anyone who has questions can contact me after to ask their questions that they would otherwise be able to ask in like a Q&A format at the clinic. Um, <clears throat> so anyways, to the elephant in the room, the Mustangs, probably what everyone is here to actually listen to. So I decided on a whim, well not really on a whim, it was something I've been looking at doing for like a few years now. Um, but the times have just never really lined up and it's quite the road trip for me to go down and pick them up even to the, like the closest BLM corral. Um, so I bid on a Mustang a couple of years ago, but then gas prices skyrocketed and the border closures happened with COVID. So I had no option of driving down there cause I wasn't allowed to, um, cause they were only letting people drive across who were, had like commercial hauling licenses. And then the cost to like hire a commercial hauler to pick up a wild horse would have been like six grand just to get the horse one way into Canada. Um, so I passed on that one and didn't end up getting it. So anyways, this August online corral rolled around and I was like looking at some of the horses and they had a lot more available through the sales authority program or the sales strike program, which is the only one I can buy from if I don't want to have to leave the Mustang in the US for a year until it's titled. I can't go through their adoption program. I have to go through the sales program as a Canadian unless I decided to leave the horse in the US, which is not something I'd want to do. Um, but this time around, there's a lot of options. Prior to this, a lot of the other ones I checked out, there was only like a few horses, like one or two sometimes, um, sometimes maybe like 10, but this time around they had like five pages of them. And there was a bunch of ones that I liked the look of. So like I, sh I shortlisted a bunch of them and had like a list of like, I don't know, six or eight of them that I liked, including the two that I ended up picking. And then I just kind of bided my time and waited until the online corral. And then when it came around, I was like, okay, these are the two that I've narrowed it down to. I'm going to bid on both of them um, and just see what happens. And if like someone outbids me a ton, then I'm not going to take them. And I might go bid on something else that's not getting bid on so that I don't have to pay much above the $125 purchase price or don't have to pay above it at all. So anyways, no one bids on my two horses. Um, so I won them. <laughs> Uh, the reason why I decided to get two is that for me to drive to Nevada, it's 14 hours each way. Um, and I think it would just be entirely like unjust and completely unethical just to take one wild horse and ha already have it have to deal with the stress of loading into a trailer and then make it even worse by splitting it up from all other horses and just making it scary. So I knew I had to get two. I like in theory, I could have gotten a three because my trailer is big enough and they're little horses, but I wasn't comfortable with the idea of squishing three like it wouldn't be squishing it's a three horse warm blood size so it's a large trailer but three horses for a 14 hour trail ride not ideal so I didn't want to do that um if I had like a big stock trailer I would have considered it just because it's like if you're gonna go down there why not get as many as you can to justify the gas costs um but yeah, so we made the trip in two days. Like I left on Thursday and I was back Saturday, like in Canada, Saturday at 2 a.m. with the Mustangs, dropping off the Mustangs. Um, basically just drove straight through and like while I was driving, my mom would try to sleep. And then while she was driving, I would try to sleep. And then we stopped and slept for a few hours 
um, at a rest stop just between Nevada and California, um, California and Nevada, and then carried on. I couldn't sleep very well, so honestly, when we stopped there, I got, like, maybe two hours of sleep, and then I just kept driving because I was, like, my, my Vivan sometimes just keeps me awake, um, and I'd napped a little bit, so then I drove for a while, and then once we got the Mustangs, um, my mom and I switched again, and I slept while she drove. So it was a lot of driving. We basically didn't get out of the car much at all, um, other than to pee and stuff and take Phoebe out to stretch her legs because Phoebe, my dog, came along. Um, but yeah, it was quite the adventure. I did a vlog of it if anyone wants to see that on my YouTube. Um, I live right on the border, like on the other side of like Blaine, Washington, um, about two hours up from Seattle. So I'm really close to the border, like as close as you could possibly get as a Canadian. Like I literally used to live like on the last street before the border like I could walk across the border illegally and I wouldn't do it because I'd get flagged and I wouldn't be able to cross legally um <clears throat> but that's how close I am so getting into Washington for me takes like minutes like literal minutes like once I'm across like because one of the borders I can cross isn't usually very busy um so we get across in like two minutes there's basically no line I don't have nexus um, easy peasy, but then like driving through Oregon <laughs> takes a long time and then California to Nevada. Like Oregon is like the longest part of the drive. It's beautiful. Um, but a lot of it was nighttime when we were driving through Oregon at the end. So we didn't see a ton of it, but the forests are stunning there. Um, really Pacific Northwest ish. I would highly recommend checking it out. Um, Washington, I've already seen a lot of, um, so yeah, like it was, it was a drive. So anyways, we drove down there, picked them up, got them through the sales strike program. Um, the way the BLM like loads them and stuff, it's very efficient. They have like all these little shoot systems and then they like use a flag on the end of the stick to like usher the horses forward, which obviously is stressful. Um, but as far as things in that situation go, it's efficient and they're not causing like excessive unnecessary amounts of stress um with like what they have to do with their job so it was efficient and it like wasn't dangerous because the horses weren't like completely scrambling and panicking although I would imagine some could in that situation because they definitely are trapped um they loaded well and I was really worried about once they were in the trailer how they'd be if they'd be like trying to scramble and climb the walls but they settled down really well and they handled it awesome um I soaked the hay in the trailer so that they'd be eating like wet hay and then put like a full bale in the trailer just to hope that they would eat it. Um, and other than that, like we couldn't unload them because no one will lay over wild horses. I tried to check. No one wants them. Um, and loading them on and off can be dangerous for them if there's not like the type of shoot system like what they have at the BLM that's safe. So yes, being in a trailer for 14 hours sucks. Um, but taking them on and off honestly would have been more stressful for them in this case, I think. I was incredibly impressed with how they handled the trailer ride the whole time. They hauled better than some people's show horses and, like, regular riding horses that I've hauled. Um, they were more steady and, like, excellent. Um, so yeah, like, the drive and everything went okay. Um, it, like, the, the roads to drive down this way are actually way easier and less scary than it would be for me to drive up north towards northern BC or Alberta in Canada to go get like the BC Alberta wildies um, which are different from the BLM Mustangs in that like they're not I don't think they've been around as long 
Um, and a lot of them are like feral horses that have like been bred on like large plots of farmers' lands or reservations and then have kind of flourished and created their own feral tribes. Um, but the roads to get there are way, way more mountain driving, so it'd be more in gas. And honestly, like a lot of the highways up that way, like because I've driven them because we. My boyfriend and I did a road trip into, like, the BC-Alberta border this past summer. The roads are a lot scarier. Way more mountain driving, but there's also, like, a lot of steep drops, narrow twists, um, narrow tunnels, and it's just, it's different. And honestly, I wouldn't have felt comfortable doing that drive with a trailer. Maybe now I would, now that I've done this much driving with a trailer, because that's definitely the longest I've ever done with a trailer. Um... But the drive is way harder and it would cost me way more in gas because it's just way more hill climbing. Um, like, we did drive through mountains still to get down to Nevada, but they weren't as big as, like, Pacific Northwest, BC, Alberta, like, Rocky Mountains um, where I drove through. So that's kind of, like, the um, insight on, like, the decision to go down there to get Mustangs rather than driving up north because it's actually about the same distance. Like, it's only about, like, two hours um, difference for me to drive down to Nevada versus driving up to like the Dawson Creek auction in BC, um, or driving into Alberta. Like it's like two max three hours difference, but way more in gas, way more hill climbing, scarier roads and gas costs in Canada are also more expensive. So not only would I be using more gas, I'm paying more for it. Uh, so that's kind of why we did that. But the Mustangs got home well. We got home at uh, 2 a.m. I backed my trailer all the way up into the gate um, of their, their turnout. The gate, um, it, it is just wide enough to fit my trailer in. And then my doors, I have two butterfly doors. Um, they can act as dividers too. So that's how I got them off. And then I have an escape door. So I opened the escape door and kind of just stuck my hand in. Um, to shoo them and then they jumped off all nicely and then we left them alone because before that I had already put hay out I'd filled their waters we'd heightened all the fencing um, to six foot and done all of that so they were good to go and then we couldn't see them in the dark after that so it's kind of like okay time to go to bed it's 2 a.m we'll come check on them in the morning checked on them in the morning and they'd settled in quite well like they were definitely still nervous and they were tucked up like a little sucked up because they needed to drink more they drank a little bit but they were nervous they hadn't had a lot so I got there I soaked their hay again I made little smaller dishes of water all over the field in case there is certain places that they'd be more comfortable drinking um and then they started drinking and they did they've done very well um I don't want to share too much of like the handling of them like specifics of like what they are doing um, because that's going to all be on the vlogs on my YouTube channel, the Shelby Dennis YouTube channel. So you can check that out. Um, but I just wanted to kind of share like my plan in terms of like what I intend, like how I intend to go about this from start to finish. Um, and like the behavioral science behind it, I suppose. So basically like where I have them is like, it's a four and a half acre property that I have rented, like a four and a half acre field. Um, I have it fenced on in half though, so that we could make it easier for heightening the fencing. We didn't have to do a full four acres. So they've got about two acres. Um, and I didn't want to put them in a little pen or anything because first of all, that would be super different for them compared to like where they were living. Like even living at the BLM Corral, they had a decent amount of space. Um, in addition to that, I didn't really want to make their first, like, real experience with, like, a person actively trying to, like, handle them be by force. Like, I don't want to only be able to get close because I have them trapped. 
So I wanted to give them enough space that they can be free to move around and get the distance they need from me. Um, but not so much space that I will literally never see them again. So if I had them out on like a hundred acres, first of all, I couldn't fence that to the six foot in any realistic manner. Um, and secondly, it would be hard to find them, uh, <laughs> to work with them. So it's enough space that they can like roam, graze, move around, be horses, get away from me. But it makes it easier for me to do my job as well. So my plan is to not really trap them at all. I'm not going to funnel them into a round pen to work with them individually or anything like that. Like when I start doing like anything relating to round penning or like getting them like broke, etc., they'll probably have already worn a halter or at the very least be used to being like touched and not afraid of me. Um, and what I'm doing is just getting them used to being comfortable around me. So in the beginning, this could look like me literally just sitting in the field at a comfortable distance from them. And I say comfortable in that they're not pacing, they're not stressed, they're not trying to move away from me. I just sit and I observe them. If they're so nervous that they won't eat and they're just kind of fixated on me, I might back up a bit or I'll sit and I'll wait until they settle down and start eating. And then I could back up more and give them more space um, or I could leave. And basically, I want to start with having them turn me into background noise, where I'm just basically like a pylon in the field where they they learn that I'm not a threat so that they can just go about their business and they don't care. And once you get to the stage where they're like, okay, like this thing has not come towards me. It's not made me feel exceedingly scared. It's not pursued me. It's not entered my personal space to a large degree then usually horses start to get curious of things. And this is something we even see in wild horses when there's new things in their territory. Initially, you'll get all the flight responses where they stop, they look at you, they might blow, they might pace, they stare at something for a while, and you can see off in the distance that there's something that they are concerned about, and usually the whole herd will be looking. But when that thing ceases to be a threat they'll start to kind of move closer. They might kind of do like a circular motion around it at a very broad distance initially and then gradually come closer and closer. And it's their way of assessing whether or not the thing in their in their territory is a threat. And they do it at a distance and they circle it to look at all different angles and just to kind of gauge the threat level of this object. And I am that object in this case. Um, I'll objectify myself uh, for horses apparently. JK. Um, so yeah, like getting them to just kind of tune me out as being a threat initially. And like, so for day one, since they just arrived, um, I didn't really do much other than sit at like a distance from them and observe them and wait until they started eating. And then I left and I threw them a little bit more hay to make sure that they had enough hay. And also just that they had a new pile to look at that smelled like me and they could see me physically bringing them the food because the hay that was there from there before their arrival, they didn't see me put it out there. It was already out there for them. Um, and then that way, like they know, okay, this is the food person. And after enough repetition, that'll really get drilled into their heads. Um, so the first day was just observing them until they were comfortable enough to start grazing around me and then leaving. Um, and then from there, like my plan is just to gradually continue making steps forward as they are more comfortable around me. So it's a lot of observing at a distance, at a distance that they're comfortable with. So it's not necessarily me waiting at the gate and waiting for them to approach me 
all the way up to me and not making any moves towards them. It's gauging how close I can move off of their behavior and their response to my presence. Like, if they start moving away or trotting or looking scared and make it very clear they don't want me near them, there's no point in me going closer because if they're nervous of me at a certain distance, if I make that distance even closer, they're going to be more nervous of me. So, I gauge it off of their behavior. If they're okay with me coming closer, I'll kind of walk um, until I can see where they're like a li little on edge and then stop there and sit down and make myself smaller and kind of see how it goes. If once I sit down, they're pacing and trotting away or extending the distance, then I might move back a little because like the key with that is like the pressure and release of my presence. Like my presence in that pasture in general is... A certain level of pressure because they're still not sure of me. So I can release that pressure by moving back and giving them more distance to their personal bubble. And if I do that before they actually get super nervous, then it provides them relief and I'm actually reinforcing the idea that my presence is okay because before they even actually start feeling nervous enough to react, I'm already retreating. Um, in addition to this, like even if they take a few steps towards me sometimes, I could actually move back a little bit after they settle again and start grazing to give them more space and then thereby kind of encourage them to continue approaching me. Um, and since they've only really eaten forage, they're not really interested in eating like apples, pears, or any stuff like that. So realistically, the only rewards I can use at this point are hay or grass. Um, and on day one, they definitely were not comfortable enough to come up to me for that, so I didn't even try. Um, however, when I was to start using hay and grass, my plan was to ensure, first of all, that they have enough hay piles away from me to eat because it would not be good if I made the only hay where I was standing because then they wouldn't be able to eat and self-soothe unless they're right up beside me and then that feels a lot more like co coercive. Um, so I don't want that. Like if they want to come eat the hay that I'm holding or the hay piles around me, I want them to choose to do that of their own accord, not because it's the only option. So I always give a few piles, but I kind of will pile hay in a little bit of strategic ways. I'll pile some hay far enough away where if they decide that they get nervous and need a break, they can go to that far pile, but then I'll kind of make a trail that starts to go closer and closer to where, where I'm sitting so that they can practice natural grazing behaviors by enabling up the little piles as they come towards closer to me to check me out and see what I'm doing. Um, provides them with something to do. It keeps them eating and chewing and it kind of creates a trail in my direction to bring them closer. Um, so that that's kind of how I can use hay placement to encourage them to come closer to me without making it feel coercive because they don't have to come close to me. They have a number of different piles to go to. Even if they want to move while eating, they can move in like a circle or go away from me. There's nothing that says they have to come right up to me because I'll make so many piles that they have a lot of different options. Um, and again, it's all about choice because also like these animals were removed from the wild against their will. Uh, so I don't really want to start their journey with me by taking it against their will. Um, I actually want it to be like a friendship. I want them to choose to be around me and be my friend because I think that'll set a better rapport for our relationship and partnerships going forward. I can't change the fact that they were taken from where they lived wild um, and I can't change the fact that that needs to happen for population control and the like. Um, but I can make their first intro to people a positive one and show them that, like, I'm not going to take stuff from them against their will. 
Um, so that's kind of the plan, like the philosophy behind what I'm doing, because I don't really think there's much in the way of pride to force an animal to be friends with you. And even if they do start to like you after, which like a lot of horses do, because a lot of horses are forced to participate and they do still like their people, but there's always that underlying motive of what caught like started the relationship you know and like again maybe for some horses the good will outright the bad eventually and for a lot of them it might but if I can control that not happening I'm not going to do it that way um but with that said like if one of them got injured or something and needed stitches I would get them blow darted and sedated and then we would provide them with the necessary care. So it's not that I'm going like, I don't care about anything. I'm not going to make an effort to get them handled to make things safe. It's I'm going to take my time doing stuff this way because I think that the results I will get will be longer lasting, more positive, and that I'll actually get them faster overall, regardless. Uh, because even if I could put them in a round pen, um, and get like a, a halter on them and put them on the end of a rope and trap them and kind of make them be there until they settle down and just decided to deal with it. I could do that and I could probably get a halter on them quicker and I could probably let them have me close enough to touch them quicker because I could try to do that immediately by using the small space and force to make them let me close to them. But they would still be very afraid of me for quite some time. And I've seen this with a lot of Mustang training videos, even the ones that aren't super rough, where they'll force the horse to be close to them by like having a halter on it and roping it um, and trapping it in a small pen. And these horses are so nice that they usually don't attack people in these situations. Um, they just go into a freeze response and then eventually just let it happen. But then you see in, like, other clips going forward, even once the horse is, like, handled and halter broke, they're really tense and flinchy in a lot of these videos. Um, and for me personally, I'm not super comfortable at this point maintaining that level of fear in training because I've seen so many horses in that state eventually snap out of it and then just go off, like, bronking. And I really just don't trust it from a safety perspective for myself, but I also don't think it's fair to them. So... I don't want to do that even if technically I could get a halter on them quicker if I did it that way. But the quickness of getting the halter on is like ignoring a bunch of other necessary steps for safety and also making things easier going forward. So it's not really quicker in my opinion so much as just jumping to a different task all at once while ignoring a bunch of other ones. Um, so yeah, so my plan is just getting closer and closer to them. And then eventually, like once you can get close enough to start touching and scratching them, it usually comes along pretty quick at that point. Cause usually horses that are unhandled are quite itchy and they're not used to having a creature that can easily find their itchy spots and read their behavior to such a degree that they like look for them. Uh, and you can find spots that they don't, can't itch themselves and their friends might not itch them in. And then they really like that. So usually that brings stuff along a lot quicker, um, and the closer I can get and the more that they'll touch me with their noses and come sniff me and check me out and see what I'm doing and just have that natural curiosity to want to know what I'm all about, the sooner I'll be able to get to that point. Um, because as it stands now, they've been here for less than a week and I've already made, in my opinion, some pretty big groundbreaking strides. And it's remarkable to see horses that are like wild like this and animals that honestly, they don't really have any reason to want to come up to me. Like if you look at it from the standpoint of like they have all the food and everything that they need. Um, and even just from what I watched at BLM, like the BLM holding facility, um, 
when people are coming in to like deal with them a lot of the times they're being shooed away not in like a mean way like it's not like they're beating them or anything they have a flag at the end of a stick and the horses are all afraid of it so even if they just flap the flag they run away but a lot of the times people are around them then when they're getting like shuffled and moved from pen to pen um, or like measured for like their sales photos or getting video taken for the online corral or getting their hooves trimmed, getting, uh, getting dewormed and stuff like that. It's usually for things that are unpleasant and it's a little bit scary. And like, yes, people do go in to like throw hay, but the horses all move away from them and then go get the hay once it's more safe. Um, once the person leaves. So a lot of the time people are around them, they're being asked to move from place to place and not be near the humans. So in my eyes, just from like what I saw and have seen from other videos from Mustang captures and stuff, they have been conditioned to view people as, okay, we need to extend our distance from this creature. We need to move because consistently we are being made to move. And yes, sometimes they bring food, but then they leave. And when they leave is when they go to get the food. So the leaving is actually like the relief of the presence um, of an entity that otherwise makes them feel like they need to move out of the way and get out of the way, which is a scary feeling. And that's what they've been conditioned to do. Because even if you look at like how they're rounded up and stuff, like there's a lot of these little pieces where they're taught to not want to be around people. So the fact that they're willing to choose to be curious of me, even when they have this history of people constantly asking them to move away from them and get out of their space, it's really special. And that's what I want because also like aside outside of them being wild horses with minimal experience with people the fact that the exp only experiences they've really had with people have been about pressuring them to move away it's created a learned history that makes it be safer to not be around me so it is an honor when they choose to be around me um and I don't suspect it's going to take very long to get much done with them because, like, again, like, I go there to take care of them on a daily basis. And even just the act of bringing hay in every time I go and never asking them to move and, like, when they come up to me, I don't scare them. I don't try to make a move to pet them immediately, even if I would like to. Um, I try to keep everything, like, under threshold and not send them into a frenzy. So... I'm building this rapport that I'm a safe person to be around and that I also bring things that they like. And if I do that on a daily basis, I think it's actually going to happen quite quickly because now I've had five days in a row where they're seeing the same people who are doing the same things and there's some consistency. Um, and they're learning now through that learned history that these things are getting safer. So I really don't think it's going to take very long. Um, and I'm excited to show the process because I think a lot of people underestimate like how fast going slow can actually be. And I know that sounds like an oxymoron, but like it's true because the second you overstep and like send an animal over threshold and give them a reason to be scared, you've actually lost traction and regressed. If you could have stopped before that point and ended it on a better note, you would have been further ahead in training. So going fast for all the times that you find horses that are willing to freeze and kind of like shut down or just like deal with whatever's going on, there's lots that will get sent over threshold and like injure themselves or be so scared um, through repeated learned bad experiences that they become more difficult to deal with. Um, so that's the thing is it's, it's one of those things where I think you have to see it to believe it. And I'm hoping that like showing the process will help 
people understand it better because it works for horses, like, even if they're already tame, technically, this same concept would work for teaching hard-to-catch horses how to be caught. And it'll work a lot better than the traditional, oh, chase them around and teach them that not being caught is hard. Uh, because I think people fail to realize the sheer athletic potential of a horse and how fit they are. And chasing them around just makes them fitter. They will always be able to outlast you if they want to. Um, and especially if the turnout is large, especially that, they'll always be able to outlast you. So doing something like that is silly because first of all, you're teaching them that you are like the literal worst to be around because you chase them and make things unpleasant the second you enter their field. Uh, but it's also way more frustrating for the person and you're just conditioning your horse to be more fit to run away from you. Um, so yeah, the same ideology would help with stuff like that. And even like with getting like foals, for example, like babies who are more cautious of people and more naturally reserved or just any horse like that in general, this is a really good way to kind of teach them to be curious of people because you're consistently trying to stay within their comfort zone, basing your decisions off of their behavior and ultimately giving them the choice to interact with you and approach you. You're never forcing that interaction. You're never forcing them to be around you for that interaction and you're never making them feel trapped. So it's teaching them that they always have a say in whether or not they feel like interacting with you because you're not pushing it and insisting that they have to deal with your company. And I think that if more of us as equestrians could have this type of view um, and approach to handling horses, we'd see a lot more success because we take a lot of things non-consensually in the horse world. Um, like, basically all of horse training is kind of based on that lack of consent, which is like why so much of the equipment that we see being sold for horses is about cre increasing the aversives to such a level that they cannot say no. And you wouldn't need to increase the level of discomfort and control to that level if they actually wanted to participate because you wouldn't need a threat. They would just want to be there. And I think that we have gone so far in that direction that people don't even see it for what it is anymore. And when you've been brainwashed for so long and indoctrinated into believing that's the only way, you truly can't see another way, which is really, really difficult. And a lot of people have this internal conflict that they don't even realize because they don't want to cause their horses harm, but then in the name of doing these horse sports and other stuff that they like to do with horses, the only way that they've ever been taught that they can exist with horses, they end up causing their horses harm. So then hearing that something can be harmful when you don't know of an alternative is really a conflict because you don't want to not be around horses, but you're also protective of the fact that you don't want to be viewed as a bad horse person or someone who doesn't care about your horse, and you don't see a way out. So people like that can react like trapped animals, and it's a really awkward and crappy mindset to be in. And it's what a lot of people have to go through when they start to read conflicting things that conflict with a lot of modern horse training. Um, but honestly, it's true. And this isn't to say that, like, you should let your horse say yes to, or you have, not that you should, you, sh you have to let your horse say yes to every single thing you do. Um, and I'm going to compare it to, like, babysitting a child or parenting a child. Like, for example, giving your child autonomy to, like, tell you how they feel and be able to decide when they want to participate in things or, like, be hugged by other family members and so on and stuff, so forth. Giving them autonomy to do things like that does not mean you're going to go let your kids slap their hand down on a hot 
frying pan and just watch it happen and be like, oh yeah, that's fine. No, you could still grab their head and say, no, you can't do that. It's going to hurt you. Or you can still say, no, sorry, we have to go to the doctor today or the hospital or the dentist or whatever. It's for your own good. And those are situations where they may not like actively consent to doing those things, but the lack of consent that they have is actually for the greater good of their well-being. So I think that's the, the distinction that people need to look at is we should give them enough autonomy that they can feel fulfilled and happy in their lives and that they're not living in chronic stress. But the fight for more autonomy isn't speaking for the fact that like everyone has to immediately conform to doing things in a completely like positive reinforcement consent based way. Um, because there are a lot of things like since horses are like competition and farm animals, there are things that might be more difficult to completely change and start to adapt right away in the current structure of the horse world. So it's not fully realistic even to look at things that way, even if it, um, were possible to teach everyone. It's not a realistic switch. So it's about people starting to consider like what they're willing to actually force their horse into and whether or not they want to achieve these certain goals, their horse as a sport horse through using immense force. And honestly, it can be something as simple as setting a boundary for yourself where you're like, okay, if my horse gets hard mouths over fences or is getting too strong and I can't control him, instead of bidding up, I'm going to go take dressage lessons and work on his anxiety by counter conditioning and groundwork and getting to the bottom of why he's behaving like this um, and stay in my soft snaffle. It can be setting a boundary like that. Like it's not even about completely uprooting the way you do things. It's just reconsidering what you're willing to justify because I used to be willing to take things by force all of the time in horse training. Like, even with, like, the beginning um, training Simon. Like, when I was gentling Simon, I handled him in a lot more high-pressure ways than what I would personally do now if I got the same type of horse. I added way more pressure, and honestly, I could have done things faster and also had longer lasting, like not longer lasting, but more effective results where he is overcoming that fear quicker because he's not being pushed to a point where he has to kind of be concerned about how quickly I'm going to move things. Uh, so I would move slower in that regard and I would have done some things differently with him because it was still a little bit too forceful and I don't think it was productive in terms of getting the results that I wanted in addition to stressing him out less. Um, and honestly, like if you can't look back at stuff that you've done with horses in the past and see things that you would change for the better, then you got to question how much you've actually been learning over the years. Because even in areas where you're proud of what you've done and think that you've done a good job, usually if you look, you can go, okay, yeah, here's some mistakes that I made that I would change now. And it can even be like 15 minutes following a session. You can look back at it and reflect and go, went, oh, I lost my patience a little bit there. Oh, I pushed this session a little too long and the horse lost interest and I could do better next time. I do that all the time now. Like there's times where I'll ask for one more behavioral repetition and then the horse will blow it because they were bored and they were ready to stop after the last one. And then I have to end on a crappier note than I would have if I hadn't gotten so greedy. And it doesn't have to be a big thing, but like you should be able to look at those types of things and um, kind of reflect on them and look at what you do better. Um, and that's kind of what I'm trying to do with the Mustangs is just sit back and enjoy myself and take my time with them. 
because there really is no rush. We're going into winter. They're both three-year-olds. I'm not dying to be sitting on their back right away. Um, they just got trimmed before I picked them up. I, they, they're definitely like either sedated or roped or put in a chute or something for trims, which again goes into my whole thing about a lot of stuff that they've had done with them being taken completely non-consensually and completely by force. Um, and also just teaching them that like human's presence is inherently threatening and scary. Uh, but so I'm not really in a major rush for anything. And again, like if there's a vet reason for them to need to be seen immediately and that I need to be able to handle them, we'll deal with it using, uh, chemical restraints such as sedatives. Um, but realistically, like the speed at which this is moving thus far is actually faster than what I was expecting. So it is a pleasant surprise. I knew it was going to work. Like I didn't have doubts about me not being able to do this. I knew it was going to work, but I thought it would take longer. I thought their trail trailer ride here would be more stressful. And I thought they'd be a lot more afraid of us after these few days still. I didn't think that they'd show the curiosity and interest that they have started showing this quickly. Um, so I'm really happy with the results of that. And I just encourage people to check out the vlogs because I think it's pretty cool. And I'm honestly really, really proud of them. Uh, and it's really cool to watch. It's like a meditative experience just sitting there and like waiting for them to want to approach. Um, and it's been a lot of fun. So I appreciate everyone who helps make this possible. Um, Patreons found about, out about all of this first. They found out back in August and they also get first access to all of the vlogs associated with this. Um, they get early access. So I thank you again to all the patrons who helped make this happen. And if you're interested in subscribing and becoming a Patreon, you can join my Patreon for as little as a dollar a month um, on patreon.com slash sdequis. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N slash S-D-Equus. And there's a dot com between that and the slash. Um, and yeah, you can do it as for as little as a dollar a month. Or if you want training help, you can select one of the higher tiers. Um, there's a lot of cool stuff that I put on there and I've been doing lots of tutorials and stuff that I've uploaded. So for anyone who's wanted to learn about some of the stuff that I've talked about, you can go there and there's also going to be more live Q and A's and stuff, especially going into the winter, um, where the weather isn't as good to film as many tutorials. So I'm going to be doing a lot more Q and A's and like talking style videos that you can check out. So yeah, I really appreciate everyone who has supported and helped make this possible. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of stuff that I have in the works right now that I'm really excited to share about. Um, <coughs> sorry. The next of which is the fact that I'm going to be releasing a book soon. Um, I'll share more details as we get closer to, um, but I'm really excited. It's going to be a memoir talking about some of my life and like the trauma that I've experienced and then kind of like aligning that to my journey with horses and like what I've seen horses experience and, like, what I've done to horses in the name of, like, training them and what I'd been taught initially growing up, um, in addition to talking about, like, training theory and how I train horses and just, like, my belief system in training and talking about that as well. So it has, like, a part one and part two. The part one is talking about my life and my experience and, like, the traumas that I have been through, um, and then part two is more about talking about the training and the things and the horse industry. So I'm really excited to share that with you um, and I'll keep everyone posted once I have more information. 
but I'm finally at a point where I have finished the book. It has been edited and I'm happy with the results. Uh, I can't keep adding stuff because there's so much I can talk about. Like I, I'm going to need to write more than one book eventually. Um, but yeah, so stay tuned for that on my pages. And then, like I said, at the beginning of this, there's the retro line and I've also released some other, uh, riding pants and like riding tights, uh, winter toques slash beanies if you're American, um, satin lined dad caps with the logo on them that I'm really excited about. They keep your hair feeling way better, honestly. I'm not even just saying that just because they're my hats. I've been wearing them all the time because my hair looks so much better after wearing them, especially for curly-headed queens, kings, and royal figures. Um, yeah, it, it's just great. So, yeah, I'm really excited about all that, and I hope that you guys check it out. You can look on my milestoneequestrian.ca website at the shop milestone page. Um, there's also still some remaining pre-order quantities for the new Dallas lunging bridle that I'm releasing, um, and some other cool stuff on the go. But yeah, check out the YouTube channel if you haven't watched any of the vlogs, um, and I'll continue to update on how things are going with the Mustangs, and I'll do a more comprehensive vlog um, not vlog, podcast on, like, my teaching style with this process once I've released more of the blogs because I don't, the vlogs, I can't talk because I don't want to spoil anything. So anyways, thank you for listening, everyone. Check out my shop, check out Patreon, and don't forget to share this if it resonated with you at all. I really appreciate it. Sharing, liking, commenting, even thinking about or listening to my podcast or any of my stuff, it all really helps and I couldn't have done any of this without all of you guys. Um, so I really appreciate it and I hope everyone has a fabulous night.